0: Forming strong teams behind them, they fundraise for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor right in their local community. Most importantly, this campaign is an opportunity for high schoolers to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on the lives of blood cancer patients and their families. Sound like something your child might be interested in? You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at LLS .org/students That's lls.org/students Hi, it's Elise Lunan, host of Pulling the Thread. I'm an author, podcast host, and parent who built a long career in media. I grew up in a state of perpetual curiosity investigating the world and asking a lot of questions. In this show, I chat with culture-defining leaders, thinkers, and experts about this rare moment that we find ourselves in and how to think about our own lives and experiences within a larger social and spiritual construct. Our guest today is Jamie Wheel, founder of the Flow Genome Project, an organization dedicated to the research and training of human performance, and most notably the author of Recapture the Rapture, rethinking God, sex, and death in a world that's lost its mind. In his fascinating book, Wheel explores the perplexing intersection at which we find ourselves, each of us torn between the desire to save the world or to
1: savor the world. We as a generation, as a generational cohort of, say, baby boomers, Gen Xers, millennials at a bare minimum, coming of age at a time where we simultaneously have more awareness of just Life, the universe, and everything, and at the same time, also understand our existential precariousness. He says, kind of summing up of how on earth do we all hold hold all this at, at the same time.
0: Our wide-ranging discussion takes on the heady topics of healing, believing, and belonging, and ends with Wheel sharing with us his ten suggestions, a list of countermeasures to the fundamentalism, nihilism, and despair that threaten to swallow us whole. I loved your book. I thought it was like such a fun, insightful, profound, funny romp. I guess you could almost call it a romp. Like I feel like you covered major ground fast, which I'm always a fan of. While getting into some of these the more profound qu- profound questions, which are how do we either savor or save the world when we find ourselves at this Perplexing intersection, which is sort of—I feel like how you start the book, like mm-hmm. we are stuck.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was thinking. I was always think of George Clooney and our Brother, Where Art Thou, where he's like, "Damn, we're in a tight spot." <laughs> you know, <laughs> it just feels like that. It just feels like that. Anyway, any direction you look right now.
0: Exactly. And then I feel like there's sort of the guilt of either you you talk about it as the coming together of two intersections, the coming alive arc and the staying alive arc and how we are right where they meet. And I feel like depending on the day, we're either trying to live life to the fullest and lean into it and enjoy ourselves or we're bound by fear and uncertainty about our ability to survive in any which way.
1: Yeah. And, and there's sort of at least three levels of that intersection, right? Of coming alive and staying alive. And, and just, just for listeners that hadn't read the book and you just kind of alluded to that E.B. White quote, and he, you know, that's the author of Charlotte's web. And, and he wrote, I, I wake up every morning, torn between the desire to savor the world and save the world. But then um, I, I realized that in fact, the savoring has to come first. Because if there was nothing to savor, there would be nothing worth saving. So that that kind of feels like that, that dialectic between those two feels like where a lot of us are these days. And it feels like it's happening on the kind of personal level, plus the social level, plus the kind of cosmic or existential level. So like personal, like... I, anybody can grow up to be president. I'm going to be an astronaut or I'm going to get my MBA and then I'm going to get my job at McKinsey or, or I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do, or I'm going to get my Eurorail pass, go backpacking around you know, Europe, you know, or whatever our hashtag best life was going to be, <laughs> you know, and then there's the triage of, oh shit, what's happening to the economy? What's happening to the climate? What's happening to my job? What's happening to fires or floods or droughts where I live? Should I be someplace else? Should I be doing something else? Like, all of that kind of hooky-jerky. And then there's even the kind of bigger level, which I don't unpack in the book just for sheer space reasons, but I think it's arguably the most profound is, you know, we as a generation, as a generational cohort of, say, baby boomers, Gen Xers, millennials at a bare minimum, coming of age at a time where we simultaneously have more awareness of just life, the universe and everything, you know, telescopes, you know, the large Hadron Collider and, and and the Hubble telescope that can see distant galaxies. And we can understand the moments of creation at the big bang. And at the same time, also understand our existential precariousness while we're also leveling up into the highest, most expensive, joyful, ecstatic, integrated, and whole expressions of humans that have ever been. And we're sort of being, born into this, or even sort of like reborn into a world going, holy shit, we're alive. This is amazing. Just in time to realize the very same techno-economic society that provided the conditions of abundance and stability to let us do all that beautiful waking up and hatching is also potentially responsible for our fucking pending undoing. (laughs) You know, no, that's, <laughs> yeah. and that's, a mind, that's a total mind fuck, And, you know, and then throw in cell phones broadcast around the world of some poor guy in a overlooked state saying, I can't breathe. Right. Right. You, you, you have the burden of the alpha and omega. We know where we've come from. We know where we're heading on a cosmic scale. And at the same time, we're plugged into human suffering, injustice, and any of the other, you know, wounds of the world at a level that if I just grew up in my little village in my little town with my head down reading a local paper or hearing gossip from the nearby, you know, across the river, never had to hold. So it's, it's an awful lot. I mean, it's the E.O. The e. Wilson, that Harvard biologist who said, you know, we've got paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, that, that's a pithy kind of summing up of how on earth do we all hold, hold all this at, yeah. at the same time?
0: No, that's one of my very my very favorite quotes because we've all had those moments where it's like we can't and so much of the book is in some ways about tools or a cattle prod of like we need to get we need to heal ourselves and then get over ourselves. We'll get to the list of 10 suggestions in a minute cuz they made me laugh many of them and and cry. But yes, as you say, holding holding the whole thing at once is in some ways unbearable, and yet it also feels like the only way forward, and that until we reconcile ourselves around some of these big issues at a time when we also seem to be more divided than ever, what will there be left to save? And I love, to how you go into sort of this idea of nihilism versus, I wouldn't even call it belief, I'd call it faith, but how when in this in in our culture, in this absence of God, how nihilism is sort of rushing in to fill that space. I can't remember you mentioned the quote sort of there's a godlike hole. Oh yeah, Bla-
1: Blaise Pascal. Um,
0: yeah, Blaise Pascal, and that we're also at a moment at this moment sort of many of us feel like we don't we're missing the bigger picture. We don't ha- there is no meaning or there is no point, and that that nihilism can be devastating on all the levels you mentioned, personal, social, existential.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like we're, you know, we're all wrestling with it and, you know, sort of nature abhors a vacuum, but so does culture. And into the vacuum of our meaning crisis, you know, with both organized religion and kind of neoliberal institutions, academics, government, all the things kind of, you know, everybody's profoundly suspicious of everything and trusting no one. And, you know, into that vacuum, you get QAnon, you get anti-vax conspiracies, you get all sorts of cultic mutations because our need for meaning doesn't go away. It's just our, our usual watering holes have dried up. Mm. So we start drinking from stagnant and you know, (laughs) sketchy ditches and, and, and uncovered ponds and you're like, well, you probably shouldn't do that, but I'm really thirsty. You know? Yeah.
0: I want to talk about sort of the dark triad. I want to get to cults because I liked your list. To me, it felt like a, a useful summation of sort of the the environment that's created the – I mean, there have always been cults. Obviously, this is not new. And there are tons of cults, many of which are positive or could be positive. But, But let's talk first about sort of – I think it was that – Queensland University of Technology study that you talk about around where they were looking at radical left, progressive, liberal, and white identity, and how prone each group was towards sort of the dark triad, authoritarian Mm -hmm. traits. And essentially, they found that far, you know, far left progressives, far right, were inclined equally. Right. And then it's really only sort of this middle that can hold space for gray.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And obviously, you know, that that was a specific study. I think the sample size was maybe 500 or 800 folks. So limited, you know, so, so interesting for further study with all the kind of normal disclaimers on social sciences and replication and and that kind of thing. And, you know, it did sort of point out back to that, that Yates quote, the best lack all conviction while the worst are filled with passionate intensity and you realize, oh shit, okay. In the culture wars, you know, most site, most folks embedded in the culture wars, there's a bunch of well-meaning intended, intentional people on both sides. Right. Even like, you know, you go to conservative America and you're like, hey, man, these people value self-sufficiency and reliance. They value community and interdependence. They value patriotism and pride of country and place. There's all sorts of good things in that mix, but they get whipped into a frenzy by alt-right identitarians about migrant caravans and disease, you know, all the old ploys, you know, disease, Mm -hmm. depravity, crime, corruption, all that, the kind of impurity you know stereotyping and they get persuaded and the same thing with progressives that are like hey you know race class gender these things should all you know all humans should be met with dignity you know can care and concern and the question is is when does that slip slide into sort of you know marxism maoism and and mm-hmm. you get into you know and you see those kinds of signs and in general it's not the center of gravities of either of those movements which is generally can be well-intentioned folks with, with potentially noble value systems that you want, you want in a civil society, yeah. you want that, you want those dialogues. It's the folks that constantly go to seek power and constantly seek to hijack those movements for other ends that are often the ones str- you know, pushing to get to the front of the line
0: yeah. and,
1: and pushing to get further ahead. And, and, you know, a now, compromised example is, is the uh, French actor Gerard Depardieu, who pre too had actually done a film way back when called Danton about the French Revolution. And Danton was actually one of the original liberty equality fraternity guys of the French Revolution. And then Robespierre comes in and outflanks him and he gets his head chopped off. you know And then Robespierre drives it to the reign of terror. And I just remember seeing that in college and just going, oh, shit you know, those flanking movements. And you can see it with Trump's weaponization of the term rhino, which, Mm. you know, means Republican in name only, which is an exact and precise definition of him. He doesn't hold a single conservative position. He's a naked populist and opportunist. But Mm. it used to mean people just like him. He's now turned that around to say, if you're an old school conservative, if you're a Reagan, William F. Buckley conservative, you're... Anti-Soviet Union, anti-big government, anti-taxation, pro-NATO, pro-militarization. You're now a you're now a rhino. I'm not a rhino. Mm-hmm. You are. and so you see this doublespeak flips, and the same thing with weaponized intersectionality. You know mm-hmm. where someone can be a card game. There was the there was that professor, and I, I think she was at Reed. In fact, yeah, I'm certain she was at Reed. Who was a self as she described herself a lesbian Chicana you know, social, political professor. And she wasn't even tenured. She was adjunct. So she's like, I am as marginalized as marginalized can be as a person, as a professional. And at the same time, when there was a, uh, the Readies Against Racism student movement against teaching Western Civ, And she's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Western civ has got some really useful values. Like there's actually tons to learn here from the classics and from these other things. She then ended up getting taught as not progressive enough. Yeah, and, and you and, and so you see those movements. Cornell West just did an op-ed on the same thing with when Princeton looked to ban the study of requirement for for Latin and Greek for the Classics department. He's like, he's like, you know, letters to letters from a Birmingham jail man. MLK read Socrates and Aristotle. Like, there's there's yeah. stuff there we care about. And yeah. So 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 there's just those movements to the extremes, and it's a power play, typically by opportunists who are wielding whatever is the current discussion or conversation and the language and the vernacular and the value sets of otherwise important and vital social civic conversations, and then weaponizing them for, for their own gain.
0: Wondering what to give your mom or wife or daughter or friend or godmother for Mother's Day? From someone who cares a lot about her bed and sleep, may I recommend something from Cozy Earth? In fact, Becoming a mom and suffering through its required sleep deprivation is where my obsession with sleep started, so it's one of those gifts that might really bring things full circle. After all, women in particular are really impacted by sleep deprivation, which has massive implications for our health. Between the hypervigilance of motherhood and the hot flashes of perimenopause and menopause, we get a raw sleep deal. So let me tell you about giving women you love their best night's sleep ever let me tell you about Cozy Earth. Their sheets are made from viscose from bamboo, and they are indescribably soft. So soft, like a bed hug, like no other. Now, I'm not the only mega Cozy Earth fan. Every single year since 2018, Cozy Earth products have been named as one of Oprah's favorite things. Oprah picked their best-selling bamboo sheet set because they're temperature-regulating and incredibly soft, and she picked their joggers and their socks and their pajamas Meanwhile, Cozy Earth doesn't just make sheets, they also make pillows, blankets, and more. Cozy Earth makes their products by sourcing responsibly. They use the best suppliers with an eye toward quality, responsible production, cutting-edge technology, and premium materials. They're also incredibly durable. They get better with every wear, and they have an enhanced weave that is guaranteed not to pill even after washing and drying. All Cozy Earth products can be returned or exchanged within 100 days and include an additional 10-year warranty against defects. This Mother's Day, treat mom to the luxury she deserves with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize her self-care and sleep health. She deserves it. Don't forget to use my promo code thread at checkout for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. After placing your order, select podcast in the survey and select my show in the drop-down menu that follows. So they know that we sent you. I don't know. I'm sure you're familiar with Loretta Ross, but she talks about sort of like I'm, you know, radical black feminist, and she talks about how she's in the intra, she's interested in movements, not cults, and mm. that within the movement, when people start to assert that people have to care about the exact same things or have the exact same stance on every single issue, you're in a cult. And that there is that sort of growing demand and requirement on both sides that, as you say, starts to persuade people who are very much in the middle. And I loved, I'd actually never heard this (laughs) acronym, MAD, Mutually Assured Dissatisfaction, But you write about how, you write, at its worst, this kind of strategic stalemate leads to stagnation and frustration. At its best, this sort of agnostic liberalism leads to the kinds of hard-won compromises that delight virtually no one, frustrate nearly everyone, and perversely expand the chance to keep playing the infinite game with more and more players better than any other options we've found. And I love that idea of government because I feel like so many of us rail against like the inefficiency or lack of effective government, but that's maybe what it when it's at its best, in the slow plodding sort of like ship that's hard to steer off course. You certainly don't want it to be taken over by an insane captain. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And that, and that actually, there's two folks if people are interested in tracking that down. One is Alison Gopnik at Cal at Berkeley. And she's written about that. She's like, look, this idea that we're all going to get to Kumbaya and be singing out of the same hymn book. Like we had that idea in the 19th and early 20th centuries. And, and you got Nazism, you got all the isms, <laughs> communism, yeah. fascism, you know, all the things. And people were like, whoops, like, you know, tops down centrally enforced utopias end up in bloodbaths. So maybe we shouldn't keep pushing on that. And 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 actually, I do use the term agnostic later in the book. This particular one is actually agonistic liberalism. And oh, that agonistic, was, sorry. And that was, no, no, it's okay, because I'd never come across the term either, but it's Jonathan Lear at London School of Economics. And he talks about agonistic, like literally we are in opposition to each other, jostling around, and we never figure it out. But what we're trying to do is not get to hegemonic consensus. We're just, mm-hmm. you know, we are trying to keep do, do doing that mutually assured dissatisfaction, you know, which is every PTA meeting, every HOA meeting, every, you know, if anyone's ever participated in any sitting on any kind of civic board or nonprofit, anything, they're nightmares. Yeah. You know, it's like stick a fork in my eyeballs. I can't believe this is, you know, this is what passes for effective governance. And yet you know, we haven't come up with something better other than like the sort of Rousseauian notion of the enlightened despot, you know, which is if you could find the sort of, you know, Plato's idea of the the, the enlightened philosopher king who just had it right. Yeah. Maybe we're going to try that in Texas with Matthew McConaughey when he runs for governor. We'll see. <laughs> <right>?
0: <laughs> um all right. So I want to talk about sort of like this idea of seeding a revolution or giving people the tools, sort of the recipe for, for cults. This idea, you you cite these four reasons, which seemed as good as any I've read. I, I'm very interested in the formation of cults. Cause I think that we we tend to, and you hear it, like this discrediting of oh, people are just brainwashed. And apparently that's actually. Very hard to do, or that people must be dumb for believing these things. But I think that I liked your ideas of sort of one generational amnesia, which is Mm. helpful. How, as you talk about, like in the context of childbirth, but problematic because we seem to forget where these things can go. And granted, like so many cults, historically the ones that have gone really awry, like started out in really theoretically like positive fertile ground, right? Like they're typically uh, sort of an idea of some sort of utopia that goes awry.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I had a quirky professor in college who just always used to throw us curveballs. Like he had us, there's there's a 1973 documentary on the Manson family. And I think it won an Academy Award or maybe a, a, a Palme d'Or at Cannes for best documentary of the year. And it was Original footage. So it wasn't one of those like ABC, you know, Sunday night, you know, docudramas with shitty actors and that kind of thing. It was like all original footage of the family at the Spahn Ranch up in Topanga Canyon and it's blonde hair and guitars and skinny dipping by the waterfall. And it is idyllic. And and then they get interviewed and you're like, oh, shit. 90% of what they're saying, spot on critique of like Eisenhower, 50s culture. They're like, you were conditioned, you were programmed, you have your job, your career, you're a little plastic person, you're sexually repressed, you need to open up, blah, 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 death is life, life is death, let's go kill the pigs. And you're like, wait, 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 rewind the tape, what what was that last bit? (laughs) And, And you realize, you're like, oh, shit, like, you know, like, and this is true for today, right? I mean, if you looked at 2016 election, Bernie and Trump had nearly identical critiques, of what was wrong in America for the common, quote, the common man, right? Right. Their prescriptions went completely opposite directions. And so when we get suckered in by people who can accurately diagnose the problem we then become easily snookered by their then proposed solution. So if they constantly push on all our sore spots, they're like, it's sore here, right? And you're like, yes, it's sore here. And they're like, it's sore here too, right? And you're like, yeah, how do you know? And then, you know, by the time they've <laughs> poked us enough, we're just suckers for their prescriptions. But that's really where we have to be vigilant and really like mm-hmm. triple triangulate. What are your truth claims? What are you saying? What are the implications of doing what you're saying? You know, mm-hmm. and can we maintain our own common sense and judgment exactly. and that obviously goes out the window when we're scared, we're lonely, we're confused and people offer us certainty, community, and dignity and then throw in peak states and healing and all of our boundaries come down and we're just putty in the hands of someone who would like to shape that
0: right and or prisoner, you know because I think that that's the other thing about many of the cults is that people were trying to escape. It's not that everyone just sort of walked off a cliff necessarily like a lemming. It was, you know, it's its own thing. But so that leads, you mentioned sort of the techniques of ecstasy, which I know we should talk, I want to sort of get come back to that and talk about that at length since you get into psychedelics and their potential and their problems and where they can get us a little stuck in an eddy Perfect healing. Or, or
1: in Jamaica, you know.
0: Or in Jamaica. Digital influencer culture. This is certainly something I am very, I mean, we're all familiar with this this idea that anyone can have a platform, anyone can produce content. Like the day of the fact checker is over, or not entirely, but that these, you talk about them as pretenders to the throne and the ability to sort of hit those sore spots and s- spin it up. And suddenly you're taking people on a real ride. And I feel like people, when I've seen this happen, sort of the guruification of people who may or may not have good or bad intentions, or it's, it's probably a mixed bag. It's what I see happen when I've watched this is that people will also credit them you know, it's hard because they'll be like, oh, this person opened my eyes to so many things that were true about me or made me feel seen or reflected back to me a reality that I've always sensed and never been able to fully express, whatever it may be. And then they sort of start on this meandering path. And I think it's really hard. I think we're inherently very loyal, right? And, and it's really difficult, I think, as a human to figure out and we were talking about this in the context of the classics. What do I discard? What do we bring forward and what do we discard? And like we tend to do this wholesale rejection, right, of someone if they have some problem. It's very difficult for us to pick and choose unless we're like figuring out what quote to put up on Instagram. But I think it's a very hu- – it's a kind of loving and loyal of humans, but it makes us it, – it doesn't inhibit our ability to parse what's there.
1: So are you, are you describing that loyalty in regard to somebody in a sort of teacherly or authority mm-hmm. you know a position of authority Yeah this first provides you hit, culture. Yes. and then you become kind of you know beholden to them or stick with them Yes Yeah I mean I mean look I think the combination of the echo boomers so effectively millennials just not like a staggering knowledge gap as to what their parents did and all the lessons learned from the late 60s through the mid 70s. So basically whether it's Johnny Depp's Blow or it's Boogie Nights or it's any of those movies, right? They all start out awesome in the 60s. Everyone's just like smoking weed and hanging out and listening to you know, favorite folk song. <laughs> and it's, it gets a little freakier and deaker in the early 70s and people, there's their sexuality and there's free love and there's all those things. And then their wheels come off and it's like cocaine and heroin and AIDS and then bam, you know, straight <laughs> into the wall. Like we've seen these movies. And the that knowledge gap is real. And the pain points, it's like, at least let's make new, different, more complicated, spectacular mistakes. Let's not just send it off the cliff in the same exact hairpin turn your parents did.
0: Right. And
1: then there is the I think it is uncalcul incalculable, really, the damage that digital narcissism is doing mm. to the kind of quote unquote wisdom marketplace. And mm. because beca- and the thing that really I don't know. It just boggles my mind. I, we're not on the other side of it. We're in the thick of it, which is, it feels like Kurt Vonnegut's, that book, Cat's Cradle, he wrote way back mm-hmm. when about Bokanon and that kind of imaginary religion. But then I think there was a CIA government project or something to create ice nine, which would could then was a chemical that could turn all the water molecules on the earth to ice. And it's effectively just end life, right? Because there would be no way to survive that. So ice nine is this metaphor for this capacity to get out ahead of our, you know, any efforts to fix it. And it feels like Social media influencer culture is the psycho-spiritual equivalent of Ice nine. because what's happening is that someone can have a profound breakthrough. You can go to the rainforests of Peru and have an ayahuasca experience. Or you could go to Burning Man and have a totally amazing you know breakthrough experience, but no sooner have you done that the people are like, even in their mind, you know, composing their their first breathless social media post dear friends, I know you've all been missing me and wondering what I'm up to, but just here's an update. <laughs> and then overshare, 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 you know, to get the rubbernecking thumb scrollers to stop enough to be like, oh, here's some carry and I can pick off the, and then, and then, oh, by the way, and if you're interested in a little bit more of this, click on the link below. You need to swipe up, swipe right, and, and see me at the next workshop. And people have already rolled even the most profound experiences back into a a digital avatar back into their representational self and you know and you see we're seeing it in practical terms in outdoor culture as well so not just psychedelics not just transformational culture stuff you're seeing it in you know head west young man you know seek your refuge in the mountains natural awe wilderness renewal all those timeless things and now there are instagram posts that are being geotagged for remote Waterfalls, beautiful natural hot springs sitting on top of summits and peaks. And now everybody sees that and then overwhelms those places. And in Aspen, just this this two weeks ago, and repeatedly for the last several years, there's a place called Capitol Peak. It's one of the most vivid scenic peaks, but it's got this knife-edge ridge that you have to kind of like really shimmy along to get to the summit. But a bunch of asshats on YouTube have posted videos. And now 10 to 15 people a summer are falling off it to their deaths and overwhelming local search and rescue who are then getting risking their lives in fact 2 weeks ago four search and rescue folks got killed by a subsequent rockfall trying to go and do a body recovery of another of another fucking youtuber so you're like mm-hmm. you know so so whether it's psychedelic experiences whether it's consciousness festival experiences whether it's outdoor experiences we are projecting into the digital world and getting ahead of the mm-hmm. the very the, the very things that could restore us to our own sanity and selfhood. Yeah. And it's a recursive yeah. double bond. Getting
0: over our skis, you know, and I know that's on this the list of 10 things that I want to get to, but to finish the four, the rapture ideologies, in terms of the cult, this idea of like, we live at such a strange time and space. We're all struggling with uncertainty, which is the reality and the through line of life. Although I don't think that it's been as present to us as it has been in the last 18 months, two years. But that that makes us quite ripe for wanting someone who, who seems to have the answers, right? Or who can offer a path to some sort of certainty.
1: Yeah, 100%, we're scared little monkeys huddling through space. <laughs> you know? Ah.
0: But the book, your book is also sort of offering, I loved that quote from Stuart Brand in the Whole Earth Catalog, we are as gods and might as well get good at it. You're sort of also offering a bit of a template for, okay, this is where we find ourselves. And in order to move forward, we need to, you sort of suggest, feel our feelings, but like this this sacrament that must happen as we sort of not – It's not that leaders are going to rise again, same, that's the same idea, like the same glorification who are going to lead us out of this, but we have to figure out how to seed each other and the planet and the world with ways to sort of, I guess, come to sense, right. Or come to some sense of belonging or sort of become rulers of ourselves. So at least we're not harming other people.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, you know, to, to a, of our earlier conversation i mean my sense is is yes it's kind of a it's a trope right that clever people thinking thinky thoughts get together and go oh this is a this is a problem in consciousness and then somebody will have you know always pipe in with the einstein you can't solve the problem at the same level that created it right and and then you know it gives us permission to all you know meditate do yoga you know drop acid whatever i think that notion that we should we have to have a global centric perspective to be able to handle the interconnected global problems we have is legit and the mm-hmm. idea that we want to get beyond ethno nationalism and start seeing all of our brothers and sisters on the planet as connected legit however right however we had 50 fucking years of just perfect lie of the ball and then we completely shat the bed did not pull mm-hmm. it off so and things are degrading rapidly so you're like, okay, if if 1950 to 2000 or 60 to 2010, take your you know toward 2008, take your pick of what our happy spot was. But we had a good half century, at least in the developed West, of unprecedented stability and prosperity and access to the tools for better living, and we did not get anywhere near it. We came up with Pokemon and Chia Pets and 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 American Idol, you know. <laughs> so, so I think actually we need our fallback plan. Right, is we actually need healthy tribalism at this point, and you know, based on race, that's not healthy. Based on religion, that's not healthy. Right, the only healthy tribalism I'm aware of is sort of a bioregional one. Where mm-hmm. do you live? What's your watershed? Where does your food come from? Where do your kids learn? You know, like like how how do we do this thing? And I was just on the phone with some friends that live up in Nelson, British Columbia, which is arguably one of the raddest places for that kind of multi-generational community. And they've just been battling huge forest fires. And their their insight was, oh, wow, all the the governmental agencies completely jumped the shot, failed. And it was the local community that pulled this off. And even the cell phone companies in the midst of crisis regional crisis the cell phone companies flew people in and pulled all their equipment out of the cell phone towers cut off cell reception so they didn't so their equipment didn't burn right? oh my god yeah 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 insane egregious like they were trying to control evacuation efforts for like single mothers with children and who were left alone in cabins and like boom just pulled the plug cuz they didn't want their stuff to melt and and now our friends are considering like, oh, we actually need to run for council. We need to actually get six of us on a provincial council of 11 seats so that we can control what's happening. And we need to actually take this back for ourselves because we've seen that government is incapable. And it's the whole thing of like peacetime generals are shitty at fighting wars, <laughs> you know, and, and whether it's Ulysses Grant going into the Civil War or it's or it's FDR going into World War II, or it's even what happened in Afghanistan and Iraq, right? The ones who get promoted in peacetime are explicitly not the people to be leading through times of crisis. They're bean counters, they're political as hell, they're they're self-aggrandizing and self-promoting. They're not the people you want. And Mm -hmm. so our friends are actually now realizing, oh, we need to get active at the local grassroots level. And we need to start advocating positivity because the reality is, is that the Koch brothers have been doing this for thirty or forty years in funding astroturf movements. QAnon is now doing this and going into school, you know, penetrating school districts around the country and around the world. So, like, there are the dog you know, the the Death Eaters are already organizing to do this. What we actually need is we need good homegrown humans realizing, hey agnostic liberalism, it sucks. It's slow. It's messy. But if we just give up our democratic and political processes, because they're supposedly corrupt and they've been gamed by the bad guys, the quote unquote, right. That's on us. The system is still standing at least for now. And yeah. it's on us to get together and say, Hey, you know, we live here, we give here. And, and I think that, you know, that old, you know, whole foods bumper sticker of like, you know, think globally, act locally you know, we can, you can kind of tweak it a little bit. It's like grieve globally and mm-hmm. thrive locally, you know, like take in the enormity of what's going on and feel it and let that, you know, keep our humanity right there wide open, but then thrive locally because it mm-hmm. is too late to be turning aircraft carriers away from, you know, big ass icebergs. We're going to hit yeah. everything in our path. Yeah.
0: No, and, and I think that, What we've learned, which is well put, is we have to stop giving our authority to other people or or other agencies or the government or assuming that other people, you know, yes, I think collectively we will will find ways forward. So not suggesting that this is each man for himself, but that we have to stop assuming that it can be someone else's problem or that someone else is going to do this this hard interpersonal work that's required for us. And the interpersonal work is required for sort of resiliency and that ability to sort of navigate saving versus savoring, which really is life. I woke up at 2 a.m. last night drenched in sweat, throwing bedding off of me. Every pet was also on top of me, which probably didn't help. Many nights, I have the opposite problem, where I'm hunting in the hall closet for extra blankets in the wee hours because I'm freezing. In part, this is because my husband and I have wildly different sleep temperature preferences, and I'm cold because he's left all the sliding doors in our house wide open. But there's actually a solution I've come to learn. And I'm all about a sleep solution because we know how important good uninterrupted sleep is for every facet of health. Have you heard about Chili Pad by Sleep Me? It's a bed cooling system designed to revolutionize the way you sleep naturally. The ChiliPad Bed Cooling System is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. ChiliPad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature, from 55 to 115 degrees. You can also choose a different setting than your partner so you each get what you need. What I want, a cool mattress with piles of blankets on top. ChiliPad believes sleeping at the optimal temperature helps people naturally reach their highest potential physically and mentally. Visit www.sleep.me/thread to get your ChiliPad and save up to $315 with code THREAD. This offer is available exclusively for Pulling the Thread listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleepslleep.me/thread. Because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. So I want to talk about the 10 suggestions, which I know sort of you get into a conversation about psychedelics. And it's funny because I've done some psychedelics and you talk about sort of how they can be, they can, it can be, or this was, has been my experience, an amazing light switch moment. And can deliver a lot of healing, profound healing in a very fast amount of time. But there's no, like, state of perfection. You're never done. At the end of the day, like, you're in this body on this planet, and, like, you're not supposed to escape this. That's not the idea, right? It's not the idea to live out there. And I think we – I feel like amongst everything else that's going on, many of us are getting stuck in this. We're getting stuck in our stories and we're getting stuck in this pursuit of, listen, I love my therapist. I want my therapist to be my therapist forever. I hope I never outgrow therapy. That said, I think that we get, we're getting a little stuck. As you, as you write, rather than waste all that time trying to get our heads above the clouds, let's look behind us and help some less fortunate people get their heads above water. So let's go through your list of 10 suggestions if you're down. Yeah. I, I have them. I don't expect you to remember them, but maybe you do remember. Do you know them all off the top of your head?
1: Well, I mean, I for sure know I for sure know which which two come first.
0: Oh, good. Take right? us away.
1: So, well, just I mean, number and, and again, just, just a little bit of framing. This is a riff on the Ten Commandments, but the idea is like, hey, every you know, you're not the boss of me, right? No one's gonna listen to tops down solutions. So these are 10 suggestions instead of 10 commandments. So the attention yes. is just fun commentary on. The kind of contemporary Western personal growth, New Agey spiritual marketplace. So the first one is just do the obvious, and that that is just intended as a as a counterpoint to all the obsession on biohacking, personal improvement, and neuro porn. You
0: mm-hmm. know, so
1: it's it's sleep deeply, move often, you know, eat well, grieve fully, make love, get outside. You know, that, that's that's kind of it, right? Like like the, there's just some very, very straightforward things that have always been true. And that despite whatever supplement is being hawked or whatever electrical headset or VR opportunity, that it's all boils down to you upregulate some things, you downregulate other things, and we have to keep on going. So yeah. the, and it doesn't cost a nickel to do the obvious. And, but what it does do is it saves us all that time and money and effort and focus to then deploy to pro-social, pro-human, pro planet projects that we might skip if we were just obsessing on the mirage of relentless personal improvement.
0: Yep. Two, don't do stupid shit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like that's that's the that's the other side of breaking into the candy store at midnight. You know, like like if we have access to all these peak experiences and all the things, and they always used to be kept under lock and key by lineage traditions. And, you know, and maybe now in our kind of democratic sensibilities, we're like, tear down this wall, you know, like we deserve access. And, you know, and whether that's industrial strength, psychedelics or crazy breath work or tantric practices, or, you know, you name it, right. To, to say nothing of like high tech biomedical interventions, but we have the capacity to do all of the things without restraint. And, and we're not supposed to be shamed for any of it, right? We're supposed to be allowed to indulge it all and you're like, "Okay, great." But that just means don't fuck it up. So don't end up in a cult, in a, in a jail cell, in a body bag, in rehab, right, <laughs> in divorce court, you know, you know or or in an institution. And and sometimes those things happen for other life reasons, but for the idea of pursuing ecstatic practices and accelerated personal growth. So just don't do stupid shit because you give, you give, you know, an excuse to the prudes and the Puritans looking to lock it all down anyway. And you, you create a backlash against responsible use of these techniques. And I think that for me, you know, pursuing integrated peak States is, is closer to sort of NC 17 fifth class rock climbing. You're teaching that. You're like, it's not for kids. That's the NC17 pod. And it's and the falls can kill you. That's the rock climbing part. And like in Boulder, where we used to live, right? There's the beautiful Boulder Creek path and it wind, you know, winds past the library and everything's nice. And then you go up another, you know, mile. And the next thing you know, you are right next to multi-pitch rock climbs, okay. right outside of town. And there's no clear del- you know, delineation. There's not a fence. There's not a gate. There's not skull and crossbones. But if you just suddenly started climbing up those rocks with no rope, no harness, no anchors, and no partner, and you peeled off to your death, people would be like, you were an asshat. You shouldn't have done that. And, right. and this terrain is very much like that. It can be right next to suburbia. It can be right next to safe stuff. But these things can kill you. And humble apprenticeship and learning and preparation kind of non-negotiables if we're gonna play in this space.
0: Yeah. This third one is hard for me because I really wanna understand, but let the mystery stay the mystery.
1: Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think that one is just the sense that people are having glimpses of the non-ordinary. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're coming back, storytelling monkeys, yammering their heads off, thinking that the glimpse, the sliver they've seen, of, you know, the proverbial elephant or whatever it is, is the whole thing. And, you know, and, and my experience, I think Ken Kesey said it well. He said, he said you know, the answer is never the answer. Right? <laughs> People think they've found it and they stop looking. But the real thing is is you let the mystery stay the mystery. Like he said, plant a garden where strange plants and you know and mysteries bloom. Like the point is to keep seeking. Mm-hmm. And so, by and there's such a temptation for people to get a hit of the numinous, some transcendent experience, but it's filtered through ego, and especially if you loop it through the digital narcissism of here I am on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and I'm going to hold forth. Like, I actually know more than I do. And again, like the biohacking trap, it's an incredible time sink. You know, it just, it, you can spend the rest of your life yammering back and forth to other people about things we couldn't possibly apprehend and with more certainty than we should have. So if you yeah. just say, hey, it is, the, you know, there are mysteries dark and vast. And I have glimpsed a little bit. It's, it's that whole thing of, you know, just, just letting the burning bush burn.
0: No, it does. We talked a bit about number four, which is 8020, that how we spend we sort of get we can get 80% there. And then we spend, you say 80% of our remaining energy chasing that pursuit of perfection or this idea that we're gonna excavate, you know, our whole childhood and everything's gonna be healed and we'll be we'll be perfect. And that many of us who are more equipped than others at that point are just stuck on that treadmill rather than sort of looking behind us to figure out how to help other people, as you say, get their heads above water.
1: Yeah. Well, and there's also something that you mentioned earlier, right? Which is you know, it's it's the Pareto split, the 80/20 thing, but it's it's also really de- it's really confusing and disorienting because our first 20% of our tiptoeing into these realms, you know, our first breath work, our first trauma release, our first psychedelic therapy session, our first whatever, right, is typically it's novel, it's the first time we've ever done it, and it usually knocks our socks off if it's halfway functional. So that's where we get the 80% of our return, our ROI <laughs> on our first. Dipping our toe ends, but we don't know that the Pareto principle is in effect. We think this is linear, so we're like eighty percent from that tiny effort. If I then do it for the next year or the next decade, I will be enlightened, whole, healed, Jedi, whatever, in no time. But it doesn't happen. You get these rapidly diminishing returns, and this is, I mean, it's explicitly true on the psychedelic studies, right? They do one to three sessions, and and people are reporting, "Hey, I'm completely healed and cured of PTSD, all those kind of things." very very few cases is that actually true over mm. the long term and God bless them I mean, I'm completely in support of people finding positive healthy relief for trauma and all those kind of things and I have a huge amount of respect for many of our colleagues conducting that research at Johns Hopkins and with maps and elsewhere and you know kind of not calling bullshit on the situation, but just definitely putting an asterisk by those truth claims, which is which is you know a year later, Three years later, people are back in the human predicament, mm-hmm. and and it's so essential that we balance our interventions with with just integrated approaches to life versus hoping for one and done fixes. Yeah,
0: I mean, your next one is fuck your journey. So stop being a carpetbagger of catharsis, rehashing your breakdowns and breakthroughs. Show us how much you've grown which I kind of, I also appreciate. I mean, I can get stuck and I think we all get stuck, right? In the catharsis of our own stories and hearing each other's stories and and witnessing other people's stories is really important. And then you got to go, you got to move, right? You can't stay stuck. It's like you can't process for, for the rest of your life. You have to, you know, make new new tra- traumas to process. Just kidding. but But you do have to, we can get stuck we can get sort of in an eddy
1: well yeah we we sort of collect those experiences and i and i think you know ages ago i think i had a you know ran into my first friend who had gone through a lot of therapy in their own life and at, and i didn't but i didn't know that and i hadn't experienced it i was you know just kind of young and in grad school and i was like wow they're so open they're so reflective they're so thoughtful that was my first experience there. but then i you know over a year or two you're like oh these are your stories you've already rehashed and rehearsed on a mm-hmm. couch someplace, you're trotting them out again. This isn't like a new fresh insight that we're having together. This is something you have workshopped, <laughs> you know? And that sense of the copy bag right here, like then the, we carry along our precious gems of insight. And there's a sort of performative vulnerability to the whole thing of like, I'm oversharing and I'm telling you that inner reaches of my soul, but it's dead language. It's not fresh and alive, mm. you know? And, and then, and then that sort of becomes, the you know the the counterpoint to letting you know to not letting the mystery stay the mystery. Like on the one hand, we presume to map the universe, and we're also sharing all of our most profound breakthroughs and and just dro- at a, the drop of a hat talking about them versus being in the actual real moment together. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And then this one is also obviously related. Do the hard thing. If you're focusing on peak states, which often feel easy and effortless, you may get tricked into thinking that's how it should be all the time. But that's not how it works. And this goes to what we've been talking about. Like, you're still in your body. You're still in your your meat suit.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, if you go with the flow all the time, you end up in the gutter. (laughs)
0: And then washed out to sea here in California.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right, right. I mean, there's just no question. I mean, I have I have a dear friend who who has, you know, and he was actually Aiden college was one of my best signals. Like, I'd be like cynical and like dismantling reality and be like, this fucking sucks and society's worthless. And he'd be like, hey, man, he was kind of my like groovy deadhead Quaker friend. <laughs> <right>? and, <laughs> and bless his heart. Right. Let him into an absolutely terrible marriage, a completely shitty, shitty job situation. And he's about to do it all again in his next relationship. And I was just like, dude, you know, like, like you're going with the flow. You're, you're choosing to look on the bright side of everything can actually repress shadow and then paradoxically create more of it. And so that notion of, of doing the hard thing is actually the kind of stoicism 101, if you're thinking three steps ahead and you're always doing the hardest, least pleasurable thing, then paradoxically things get actually much easier, more reliably, mm-hmm. you know, so I would, I would take, you know, I would take a mountain guide over, a, over a deadhead any day, you know, <laughs> yeah. because, because there's that thinking of like, where's the next tight spot? And if we can think ahead with time and options, then we can solve those things gracefully. And then, interestingly, your life does become almost magical.
0: You yeah. arrive
1: just in time. The sun is setting. Everything's in the right place at the right time. You know, like even like backcountry skiing. Like you're like, mm, we get up before it, when it's dark and cold. We'll get to the top, and the snow's perfect. If we wait because we're hungover from the night before, and we get there late, you get trapped in an avalanche. Like it's right. that kind of temporal awareness. And a willingness to to look to the next crux or hard thing, solve it ahead of time. That clears the lane for a truly graceful life. But if we're just yeah. kind of closing our eyes and taking our hands off the steering wheel, you can That's end up problem. in the day.
0: Yeah, and if you think about that on the sort of a meta global level, maybe what we're currently going through will be enough, will provoke enough anxiety and feel uncomfortable enough that we'll decide to be a bit more proactive as we. Not that it will be enough, but let's, let's hope that we will find a way to engineer our way out of the tight spots that we're coming to and we just needed, we needed it to be put back in our bodies. I'm exceedingly careful about what I buy, not only because I live in a 1500 square foot house with children who sure have an awful lot of stuff, but also because I try to be conscious about everything I use. In short, I want to use everything I buy. In addition, thanks to a decade in the wellness industry, I am very keyed into product claims and product contents. This is why I like Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin, which is clinically backed with high-quality, traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. I also like their Symbiotic Plus 2, which is a probiotic that's simple and effective. Ritual makes the most elegant multivitamin around. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus has everything you need, specifically nine key nutrients in two capsules per day. Their unique belittin oil is so slick it's actually patented, and their capsule has a delayed release design, which is brilliant and essential, to help make it gentle on an empty stomach. And Ritual studies their vitamins, which is not the standard in the industry. Ritual conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy. The results? It increased vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. As most of us are getting far less sun right now, vitamin D supplementation is essential. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is one of the few women's multis that's USP verified, Meaning, what's on the label is what's in the formula. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark. It's also soy free, gluten free, vegan friendly, and formulated without GMOs. Did I also mention that Ritual is a certified B Corp and female founded? Nothing makes me happier than these two facts. No more shady business. Ritual's essential for women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash thread. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash thread for 25% off. Number seven, we've talked about this a little one too, never lose the one. You can go anywhere you want and think anything you want as long as you can make it back to the last known point of consensus reality, the one. Be sure to stick the landing is how you, you end that one, which I think, again, going to cults and whatnot, like people sort of spin out, right? Like they it's all making sense. And then suddenly they're like, how did I get here? I am far afield.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, again, you know, I, I just have like, I'm, I'm a simple lad and I tend to have very physical like metaphors that, you know, I'm like, oh, if
0: that. Involving rock climbing.
1: Involving mountains and oceans, <laughs> you know, and I feel like gravity doesn't lie. So in those situations, right. If you're, if you're in a, if you're going into the back country from a ski area, like you're riding the lift, you got a ticket there's little signs and everything's safe. And then you go through that gate into the backcountry, Right. And then you have to shoot your compass bearings, right. You only, you, know, you can go anywhere you want. In that wide open space, it looks just like this other place, but it can kill you, right? And and you can go anywhere you want as long as you can shoot your compass bearings and then reverse them, and still make it back to that gate. Then you're not lost, right? Yeah. Or you can go out there and be like, I saw this red red bull video, and here we are. Let me turn on my GoPro, bro. And you know, and and you you're playing out there, but you have no idea what you're doing or the consequences or how to get back to solid ground. And so when people are having non-ordinary state experiences, and I mean, the psychedelics are an obvious, easy example, but it could be intensive medica- meditation, it could be breath work, it could be group or therapeutic work, and they're starting to have recurring state experiences, they often get completely unmoored on what are their truth claims, and they get hijacked by magical thinking, and and they can't connect it, right, back to con, you know common, like, consensual discourse. And then at that point, you can just make up anything you fucking want. And it's kind of like where, you know, and I'm sure we're all having experiences of people we know and love getting hijacked by whack-ass stuff these days, Mm -hmm. you know, like even people super close to us. And you're like, wait, I thought I knew you. I thought I understood where your value systems were, what your predominant conclusions were. And like, how did you get way the hell over there? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where we are right now.
0: And- Then you say, and it's not that either. You can no more become fully enlightened than you can become fully educated. So take your insights for what they are, integrate them, and keep going. And we were talking about this a bit with the generational gaps of, and keep let the mystery say the mystery, right? Like there's just, we will never be at the end of learning and understanding.
1: Yeah. And I think this one is specifically just to kind of like counterbalance the dopamine hit of a eureka experience. Mm-hmm. And again, whether it's the 80 20 of like, I found the new modality or healing thing in my jigger or whatever it's <laughs> going to be and obsessing on it or the teacher or the whatever. And you're like, nah, probably not. Right. right. Um, or it's some um, philosophical insight. And again, I mean, we get this massive salience burst, you know, whether I mean, the neurochemistry is irrelevant, but it could be like a huge gamma wave, integrative insight, your squirt of dopamine, like novelty and salience. You're like, yes, 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 this thing. And it's overwhelmingly compelling. But the reality is, is no matter how sweet that honeymoon is, it can and must fade. Otherwise, it just becomes mania, and mm-hmm. and we should always just kind of be like, oh yeah, let it come, let it go, you know, and keep going. So I mean, it's, you know, the classic old Zen thing of a student has some breakthrough, kencho experience or or whatever, or satori, and and, and the you know the the, the teacher is usually like, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah. let me quick few clarifying questions, see where you are on that, and now go pick up the broom, chop wood, carry water, and back to your mat. Yeah. And don't think you're special cupcake, you know, and, and, and let it all come and let it go. And that's, I think, is just a generally good thing to guard against any kind of inflation or attachment.
0: Beginner's mind. I love nine is, I think, my favorite. Practice resurrection. What mm. if we practice dying to our stories, our pain and our pleasure, dying to our rightness, to our wrongness, dying every moment and living into the deep now? It's a radical practice. I love that. You know, and I think so much of life is right now, it's this rejection. We live in this fear and rejection of death and an unwillingness to let the cycle complete and the cycle will complete. And it's instead, it's like we're trying to stay on that to the right and up, to the right and up, to the right and up. And sort of the moments that Joseph Campbell quote of like only. I I do not have your memory for pulling quotes, but essentially it's joy is only available to those who are willing to sort of contemplate their death. Like you can't really live until until you die. That is not a Joseph Campbell quote, but I'm telling you that's what he was suggesting. But I love this. I think it's like that's where the fluidity comes and that's where we learn sort of flexibility and resilience and lose our fear.
1: Yeah and I mean and full hat tip that 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 phrase is Wendell Berry's And he ends his Mad Farmer's Manifesto poem, which anybody should read these days. If you want to go back, I think he wrote it in the 70s on an old typewriter in his cabin in his hometown of Kentucky. Like He left New York. He went to do his farmer thing. And he wrote this poem. And it's just super, super relevant today, right now. But it ends with that line, practice resurrection. And
0: Mm. on the one
1: hand, it's very psychoactive. You're like, what on earth does that even mean? And then you kind of mull it. And you can kind of come up with some of the variations that you were just describing but i am continually humbled by what it actually feels like which is which is that if it feels easy if it feels familiar if it even feels voluntary you're probably not actually dying to mm-hmm. your story to your pleasure to your pain to your assumptions to your safety to your you know your identity to whatever it might be every time it, it's actually a death practice, you are white knuckling it and screaming and resisting. And it feels awful mm-hmm. until you can make it through without flinching. So just, you know, fair warning. It's, it's, a poetic, <laughs> it's a poetic phrase. And I believe it is directionally accurate, but built into the definition, it is never fun or easy.
0: It's never fun or easy, but it is literally life, right? Like life will bring you to your knees again and again and again. And we have been fed this mythology that that's not really how it happens or that you can transcend that or you can avoid these really harsh transitions where you need to remake your life or your understanding of reality based on whether it's job loss, divorce, death, diagnosis. Like these things happen all the time to all of us in a way that – we We typically it's almost like we're delusional about the fact that we're we're in constant resurrection, and many of us fight it. but I do think when you can allow it, it is and and understand it as a harsh gift that's really the only way to grow. so the final one above all, be kind,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about fancy waistcoats and clever diagrams all day long, you know. But I think I think there is some front porch grandma rocking chair wisdom that we shouldn't forget. And and no matter how sophisticated and polysyllabic we get, let's remember to have fun and let's remember to be good to each other.
0: Yeah, this is not in your book, but this this spiritual teacher of mine who I adore, who's kind of wild, not culty, but wild, but she said this thing which I carry with me everywhere which is your vibration which already we're in sort of new age territory but your vibration must be higher than what you create otherwise you cannot manage it and I feel like that's sort of what we're all collectively being called to do like we've created and in our God with our god-like technologies to go back to EO Wilson a situation that we can't Manage and it's on all of us to sort of clamber up to figure out how to to get up high enough without losing our seats, but to be able to sort of to manage it. I love that quote, and I think about it just in my personal life all the time.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, that that's a sort of overproven understate kind of thing, you know? Like mm-hmm. like 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 definitely, let's get up there and then let's create beauty. That is well well structured and durable from a place of insight inspiration and service
0: that was a lot and there's a ton more that we didn't even get to within his book which I highly recommend recapture the rapture there's a really fascinating conversation about sort of dopamine and and other hormones and the ways in which they make us more aggressive, et cetera. So if you want, he does do a really deep we we touched on it, but a deep, pretty deep dive into sort of what's happening in terms of the divisions that feel so fraught between many of us. And again, I maintain I know that there we have so many more things in common than not, and that a lot of the divisions are in some ways kind of a projected fantasy that if we can figure out how to bridge, we'll be better off for it. But I love sort of where he ends, which is with this antidote to nihilism. And he talks about, within the book, he talks a bit about Elaine Pagels. He's one of my heroes, who's a history of religion scholar at Princeton. She wrote the Gnostic Gospels. And for those of you who have listened to my podcast interviews over time, you'll know that those gospels which were sort of thrown out or edited out of the canon as we know it today and buried in the in the desert and only found relatively recently are i think some of the most beautiful gospels and the ones that really speak to this moment in time i don't think it's it's a mystery as to why we would have found them now when we really need them but for example the gospel of mary magdalene really talks about how what we need is inside each of us. And it's about not looking out there for answers, but finding them within. Which is really, it's funny, because I feel like Jamie is, he's called himself a cynic or a cynic when he was younger, but certainly he has a critical eye or an open eye about sort of where we are at this moment in time with the tools that we have at our disposal to sort of explore these big questions of consciousness and what is what is the meaning of life. and But I, I like when the book sort of goes into those spiritual spaces because he doesn't get over his skis. He's still very grounded in sort of what's rational and provable in a way that I respect. But I think we got to do the ski run because we really need at this moment in time to find some deeper meaning and something that we can all sort of collectively not even believe in, because I I don't like that word believe so much, but something that we can have faith in, some bigger construct that potentially can unite us as we think about some of these big problems facing us. And I like his exploration of that within the book and within this conversation. The mystery needs to remain the mystery, but I think when we start to engage with the bigger mystery, we start to recognize how much alike we all are.